Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Rick Wolf on your flagship station for New York sports. The Fan, Sports Radio 66 and 1019 FM, WFAN, New York. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Rick Wolf's Sports Edge. I'm your host, Rick Wolf. On this morning's show, we're, of course, going to talk about what happened to DeMar Hamlin. But we're going to try and talk about this serious medical incident from the perspective of a sports parent. Now, in a couple of minutes, I'm going to be joined by Dr. Franklin Zimmerman, one of the nation's leading cardiologists. And we're going to talk in more detail about what happened to Hamlin, although all we know is for sure is that he suffered a cardiac arrest. That is, the the medical authorities have been understandably cautious to provide more detail, and we understand that. It's It's a question that he's still obviously in critical care and still making miraculous recovery. But that all that being said, we are all very hopeful and grateful that DeMar is, in fact, making excellent progress. That is, of course, a true blessing. Let me start this morning, though, by saying this. We all know, as adults, that life is precious and fragile. We know that, and whether we like it or not, those are pretty much the ground rules for life. And to me, one of the main reasons why so many of us keep coming back to sports over and over again. It's because games and sports are such a far cry from the hard, cold realities of life and, quite frankly, of death. Maybe that's why we were all so horrified when, when Hamlin made a tackle, got up, stumbled backward, and then was immediately swarmed by medical staff on the field. Now, look, we all know that all sports carry an assumption of risk of serious injury when one plays them. But while we all know that, we sure don't like to talk about it. But I can, I can recall watching the game on television when Chuck Hughes, a 28-year-old wide receiver for the Detroit Lions, collapsed on the field late in an NFL game in 1971 and died from a heart attack. Or when Hank Gathers, the, the superstar scorer for Loyola Marymount, died playing basketball from cardiac arrest. I can recall when Steve Olin and Tim Cruz of the Indians were killed in a boating accident during spring training. Or when Boston University freshman hockey player Travis Roy tripped into the boards on his very first shift 
as a college hockey player just 11 seconds into his career broke his neck and became a quadriplegic. There are so many other examples. Eric Legrand of Rutgers being seriously injured in a college football game. Or even the death of the only major leaguer ever killed in a big league game, that of Roy Chapman being hit in the head by the Yankees pitcher Carl Mays. But my point is not to depress us all, but rather to acknowledge, yes, we know that serious injury and death can and do occur in the sports we love. Somewhere deep in the back of our minds, we always know that that risk is there. The question is, as sports parents, how do we cope with that? Okay, as promised, I want to welcome back to the Sports Edge Dr. Franklin Zimmerman. Uh, He is Senior Attending Cardiologist, Director of Cardiac Rehabilitation at Phelps Memorial Hospital, Northwell Health, up in Sleepy Hollow, New York. And friends, of course, we'll take your calls and questions for Dr. Zimmerman this morning at 877-337-6666. Dr. Zimmerman, thank you for getting up on a Sunday morning to talk to us about this very, very important issue. Well, thank you, Rick, and thanks for having me on the show again. Of course. And now, look, a lot of terms are being thrown out here. I mean, people, you know, lay people talk about heart attacks, cardiac arrest, myocardial infarctions, uh, commotional cortis. There's a lot of things happening here. All we know for sure is they've said that DeMar Hamlin suffered cardiac arrest. Can, can you sort of, you know, briefly define what we're talking about here in terms of these various medical situations? Sure. I think it's important to sort of have the terminology straight. People uh, have said, well, he had a heart attack on the field. Heart attack's really a a lay term. Uh, you're not going to find, quote, heart attack often in a, in a medical textbook, but it, it does have some value. What, what he suffered, to be clear, was a cardiac arrest, meaning that his heart was no longer able to beat and function and pump effectively such that uh, it could no longer send blood or perfuse the vital organs, the brain, and frankly, the heart itself. And as a result, it didn't mean his heart stopped. It means that the beating was completely ineffective, yeah. uh, causing him to to, uh, to lose consciousness. And that's what he suffered, a cardiac arrest. Okay. So, I mean, I... Um... So for, from your perspective, and again, you, you're, you're, you're not, uh, you know, you're, Hamlin is not your patient. You're watching all this from afar, as all of us are. Um, when they say he has suffered cardiac arrest, that to you, to mean to you, for, for the average person who's watching, say, what does that mean? And, and basically, it's not like, I mean, they just don't know. I mean, I mean, at what point do they start revealing more information about his background or other situations with his health? Right. Well, you, you have to assume, of course, that all NFL players, uh, all professional sports uh, uh, athletes uh, are uh, scrutinized and underwent pre-participation physical, of course. So he was ostensibly healthy to yep. undergo uh, uh, undergo uh, high level of athletic competition. Uh, the I, I actually do really have to, to praise the Well, for, for many reasons. We have to praise the emergency medical staff. Of course, they were on them immediately. And that, we could talk about that a little bit how, at the end, how important that is. Right. Uh, and frankly, that um, the, the details about his condition were really, we were all wondering. Uh, they were really held. We didn't hear much for a couple of days. And thank goodness uh, we heard of his uh, quite remarkable recovery. And it, and, it, and it is in no small part to the rapidity of his and of the response, to be sure. So I think we are going to learn a lot more in the coming days about what his condition. And frankly, it is very likely 
again, not taking care of him personally. It is very likely that his, and in cases of commotio cordis, uh, which we'll talk about, that his heart is completely normal. And this was just a random event, uh, sort of a, what we would call a perfect storm of terrible uh, circumstances to cause this cardiac arrest. We're talking with Dr. Franklin Zimmerman, and we're talking, of course, about DeMar Hamlin. Okay, commotio cordis. Now, the last time you were on the show, I believe, we talked about this really rare uh, cardiac syndrome. And watching what happened to Hamlin as he made the tackle on T. Higgins, it looked, from my perspective, watching the game on television, yeah, Higgins is getting tackled. looked like he lowered his shoulder into to Hamlin, and Hamlin, you know, absorbed the blow in his chest, got up from the tackle, staggered, and then fell down. Um, that looked like, from what I know of commotio cordis, like maybe that's what happened to him, which, as you said, he may have a, a perfect, perfectly healthy heart, maybe in tip-top shape, I'm sure he is, but it looked like commotio cordis. Now, there's a lot of, a lot of misunderstanding about this really rare uh, syndrome, and I want you to explain to our listeners exactly what that is, commotio cordis, and, and how, how rare it really is. You know, that's uh, absolutely, and even just to step back for just a moment, when, sure. when, when you're in your previous question, you said, well, what, you know, what do you, what do you think about, it? even before you get to that? And the reason why that's an important discussion is because commotion cortis is a diagnosis of exclusion. There's no test for that. That's something that you, um, you see, it is a circumstance in the absence of the other things that, as you questioned, will physicians are looking for what are those uh for athletes of who do suffer uh, sudden cardiac arrest uh it's part of participation here are the things we think about first you think about whether there's any structural abnormalities hypertrophic cardiomyopathy and abnormal uh some of the basketball players who, who uh, have died uh, mm-hmm. have had that condition um Number two, genital coronary anomalies, meaning the heart coronary circulation is not the way it was. Most notably, Pete Maravich, who played his entire career with a single coronary artery instead of the three major coronary arteries, a single coronary. Um, Marfan syndrome, you've mentioned that on the show. Uh, Flo Hyman had that. Right. right. Uh, then certain electrical um, inherited abnormalities, um, which are, are quite detailed. Uh, including pre-excitation, WPW, uh, QT syndromes, and then some other acquired things, um, infections. And then you have things like a traumatic event, commotio cortis. Now, now we can go into what that is. Uh, it's, it's the Latin, and by the way, I've heard it pronounced by uh, experts and leaders in the field of both commodio cortis, but most of us call it commotio cortis, which may or may not be correct uh, in terms of the Latin, but having <laughs> okay. said that, yeah. uh, it, is, it is a disturbance or aberration of the heart, commotio and then cortis meeting heart. And it is the result of a blow, usually a projectile, which makes this so so remarkable. Usually a project, it's seen in projectile sports, baseball, hockey, lacrosse, and apropos to your field of interest, usually in adolescence, usually 14 to 15-year-old boys, 
and I can go over in a couple of minutes um, sort of what are the constellation of these random events. But that is what commotio portis is. It is a blow to the chest which causes an electrical, it's quite uh, complicated, but for lack of a better term, it creates a slight electrical charge which causes a derangement of the heart rhythm. Okay, now here's where it gets uh, interesting. You mentioned, of course, it's a blow to the chest. It usually happens with adolescent uh, athletes. Um, but what what I've read, and I think you 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 told me as well, it's not like you're getting hit by a like a fastball, let's say, or uh, at 90 or 100 miles an hour. It's mostly uh, impact is relatively much more modest than that, like 40 or 50 miles an hour. Um, it has to hit at a very certain precise point within the cardiac uh, cycle to cause this electrical charge. Um, and I think that's where um, a lot of, lot of people who follow sports and want to know more about this are like confused. Well, I don't understand why this is. I mean, I also want to talk about the fact that, you know, there's a lot, well, let's just get our kids to wear chest protectors if they're playing lacrosse or they're playing baseball or, or ice hockey. Well, the problem is what I've read uh, is that chest protectors don't necessarily have a universal, uh, you know, pr- protection for these kids. Uh, you're right. It's, uh, it's, it's technically, it's, it's, you would think it's almost a little counterintuitive. You would think that the greater velocity would cause, would be more likely to cause this condition. Not true. Uh, it turns out that in ex- when they have done experimental studies as to what is the most likely velocity, it turns out it's in about the 40-mile-an-hour range. Uh, it actually starts the, the likelihood of inducing what we call ventricular fibrillation, a disorganized heart um, uh, rhythm that causes cardiac arrest. It, it generally doesn't happen at 20, 20 miles an hour or below, and it actually starts, the likelihood starts to decrease as you go higher than 40, 50, 60 miles an hour, which is why uh, it's sort of the classic, sadly, the classic study uh, is the scenario is a little leaguer uh, who takes a blow to the chest. Now, part two of your question, if you would, one would think that two things would help. One, safety baseballs, they actually experimentally do reduce the likelihood, but it doesn't 100% prevent it because commotio cordis has been reported, even with the use of safety baseballs, mm-hmm. uh, they do help. But what doesn't work are chest protectors. They seem not to work experimentally. The reasons are unclear, but they don't really work. Yeah, that's, that's of course, distressing because as a sports parent, you like to say, well, I wanna, I'm aware of this. Uh, I want to protect my kid. I'll buy whatever I have to do in terms to, to try to make sure they, don't, that they get hit in the, in the chest by a ball or by a hockey puck or something that they're not going to have the situation. Now, that's the next point. We're talking with Dr. Franklin Zimmerman this morning, a noted cardiologist. Uh, how, <laughs> how rare is commotio cordis? Because I know you've talked to me about it. It's, it's, it's so rare that uh, there are more people who are struck by lightning and killed by lightning every year. So talk about how just how rare this situation is. Yeah, as you, as you might imagine, it's because it has to be this terrible, perfect storm of all these events. It is a totally random, unpredictable event. And that is, there, there are about 
uh, from what I read, um, there are about 200 people struck by lightning a year, about 20 of them killed. That's mm-hmm. about 10% uh, survival. And uh, there is a registry of athletes um, who are, uh, die suddenly. And part of that registry is the Komosho Cordis registry. It's about 20 to 25 people a year, which is on par by the number of people who are uh, struck and killed by lightning. Of course, it happens, but you can imagine how rare that is. You know, there was a, an account uh, just recently of a, a, a young college baseball player at Iona University uh, who was hit in the chest a few months ago during uh, a round of batting practice. He fell to the ground and, and, but it's, and obviously went through some seizures, but since then he has been fully recovered from this incident, which I assume is commotio cordis. Uh, he has no recollection of what happened to him, and he's, he's considered uh, healthy and he's playing baseball again. So it does happen again. He wasn't struck by a pitch that was going 90 miles an hour. It was just a, a ball being tossed at him during a round of uh, easygoing batting practice. Uh, so it does happen, but it, again, let me just ask you this. If, 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 Again, I'm trying to ask you to speculate here. If Hamlin, DeMar Hamlin, if he suffered commotio cordis and, and, and the CPR team came out in the field right away, does it make any difference in terms of how they treat him, in terms of how they give him oxygen or, or do uh, CPR on him, in terms of having commotio cordis? No, the treatment would be the same. Uh, it'd be standard, um, advanced, basic, first basic life support. Uh, CPR, of course, and boy, is that important because every minute that you delay, uh, the likelihood of recovery goes down. Um, but the treatment for all cases of ventricular fibrillation or cardiac arrest of, of whatever cause uh, is, is that treatment. And, and, and I'll tell you that uh, protocols have changed much for the better. Um, as you mentioned, in past years, high school, professional, college, they did not have these automatic defibrillators. Uh, so he was immediately got CPR, and then the defibrillator was placed. And there were some reports, of course, that it was more than once. No, that, that I'm glad that the team straightened that out. He was defibrillated. When they use the word resuscitated, that's really what they mean, that he was uh, defibrillated on the uh, field. And it is uh, we, we don't know exactly what rhythm it was, but we can make the assumption it was ventricular fibrillation. Uh, because these automatic defibrillators, it's a little disquieting for those of us in, in medicine and cardiology because you have to believe what the defibrillators tell you. There's no screen. It's not like the hospital. You're not looking at the rhythm. Uh, and it tells you what, what to do, And but the algorithms are remarkable. And I've had to use these in an in outside-the-hospital situation. And although they're disquieting, they are remarkable devices. So um, thank goodness for that. Well, I want to talk to you a little later about uh, AEDs. And, and uh, you know, we have made tremendous progress in the last couple of decades. They have become pretty much uh, ubiquitous. They're everywhere, and they should be. Obviously, uh, athletic facilities with gyms, fields, whatever, trainers, uh, coaches have to be trained in CPR. Uh, obviously, no one wants to ever have that call, but you got to have those AEDs, those defibrillators there, so that if you have to shock the, uh, the patient, as you just said, time is of the essence, and you just gotta, you just got to get it done. Um, and, you know, friends, if... Uh, if you have always thought about taking a CPR uh, class, 
do it. I mean, it's, uh, most of these classes last an hour or two. They are absolutely uh, incredibly life-saving uh, t- tutorials, but it's just good to know, have some background, if somebody you're standing next to suddenly has a heart attack or cardiac arrest and you don't know what to do. It, it's, 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 it's difficult. Dr. Zimmer, let me ask you this. It, um, why do you think they, if, if they suspect commercial cordis or whatever, they have not announced that yet? Or are they, are they, is that something that um, would not be something they would announce or they don't have any reason to suspect that? Or are they still going to wait? Or what do you think, you know, what is happening from their perspective, the medical team and the Buffalo Bills? Yeah, that's a good point. They have, we, those of us not involved in the care and in the media, yeah. uh, have they've given the diagnosis, and, uh, but the, the t- medical team taking care of them has not. I think you make an excellent point. And the reason that I can sur- surmise is that that is, as I mentioned, a diagnosis of exclusion. They are going to stabilize the patient. They are going to make sure, th- and then after he has recovered, and I expect him to, thank goodness, um, they, they will put him through a series of tests to determine, some of which they've done and haven't released. Um, they will determine, does he have any of those predisposing factors that might make it more likely for him to have suffered this? However, uh, you would be giving him a second diagnosis, if you will, um, the, the, the clinical scenario that we all shockingly, no pun intended, shocked, saw <laughs> yeah. uh, on screen. Yeah, sorry I did that, but uh, <laughs> it was, uh, surprisingly saw um, um, on, on screen. It is entirely consistent with commotio cordis. In fact, in fact I, I did look at, um, remember the um, you know, hockey player, Chris Pronger, Yes. Uh, a yes. number of years ago, 19, in the 1990s, for the Blues, defenseman took a shot to the um, chest. Now, that was a high projectile, as you imagine. It was a slap shot, but took it right to the chest. And if you look at that uh, video on YouTube, it's like you're watching the same thing again, is what happened to DeMar Hamlin. Took a yep. couple of steps and went right down. Went down. Now, that individual, that player, was extraordinarily fortunate because his arrhythmia was self-limited. Uh, it reversed itself. He undoubtedly, again, you have to surmise, you can't tell, he had another type of arrhythmia, ventricular tachycardia, which can be self-limited and did not generate degenerate into the ventricular fibrillation, which requires a shock. So we saw, we've seen this before. Oh, no, there's no question. Chris Pronger, uh, yeah, he was very fortunate. Uh, obviously, he recovered. But, I mean, you know, you star in the NHL, this stuff does happen, and it happens rarely, thank goodness, but if it does happen, it, it obviously it sort of galvanizes everybody to pay attention to this. Mm-hmm. All right, let me, let's, let's, let's take some calls. People obviously are, have questions about this, uh, and of course we're talking with Dr. Uh, Zimmerman this morning. Uh, let's, uh, let's start our conversation with Ed Ward over in Elizabeth. Ed, good morning. You're on the fan. Good morning, Rick. Happy New Year. You too, Ed. Uh, doctor, one question I want to ask you, and then Rick, you, you guys can go on. Do you think like with high school sports or even NFL uh, or even pro sports or even college, do you think they should do more extensive physicals prior to the season to see if they notice anything that might be wrong with, with a person's heart or whatever? And that's the only question I have on this, Rick. Have a great day. Thanks, Ed. And, in fact, that's one of the questions I was going to ask you as well, uh, Doc, and that is, 
you know, uh, parents obviously want their kids. Uh, they have to pass a physical in order to play high school sports. But uh, is there, is the testing these days? How if if um, if the uh, family physician says, yeah, listen to your heart, you seem to be fine, but should there be more testing, more EKGs, more complicated stuff? W- what is your feeling about that? You know, I'm glad you brought that up because that is a very, very important and, frankly, a very controversial topic, uh, like so many things in medicine. Uh, there are a couple of things that we can hang our hats on. One, yes, a very careful history and physical. And don't discount that, that uh, people say, well, that's not a test. It is the most important uh, part of the examination is the history, family history of sudden cardiac death or arrhythmias, a physical examination, a careful exam looking for certain, uh, looking for the most common type of abnormalities, many of which are picked up on examination. Uh, the big debate in, in, in medicine is whether an electrocardiogram should be performed in all uh, athletes as part of a routine uh, pre-participation physical. Mm-hmm. In the United States, the answer is no. The answer is no. It, it, again, I'm talking high school and, and college. The pros all have it, of course, uh, but for all of them. In Europe, particularly in Italy, they do. That's uh, based on some of their research. Although, interestingly, you know, we're all different worldwide. The, the disease, the uh, sudden death in athletes in, in Italy, the percentages are a little different. They have some things that can be picked up by electrocardiogram, which are not uh, necessarily well, the percentages here in the U.S. But let me just stop so, there for a second. Why in the United States, uh, arguably the wealthiest country in the world, why would we not mandate EKGs for all high school athletes? Why, why, why is there a debate about that? Uh, because the, the yield is extremely low. Now, I understand when you're a, a parent and you go, wait a minute, I, I don't care. You know, I'll pay for this, et cetera. Sure. But, but the yield is, is, is really so late. You do have what we call false positives, uh, which starts a whole, you start going down that rabbit hole. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's in with policy, frankly, in the, um, to my knowledge, in Division One NCAA, uh, it's about half of the um, of the uh, sports teams require EKGs. Uh, even fewer require what's called an echocardiogram, an ultrasound of the heart, which, by the way, are now mandated by the. Uh, it was actually I remember having a conversation with David Stern before he passed that uh, echocardiograms are required now. That's an that's an ultrasound of the heart, uh, in addition to an EKG of. Um, of all um, NBA players. Uh, I can't speak to the NFL. I assume it's the same. Uh, and MLB, I can't speak to that, uh, but it is in the NBA. So to, to summarize, it's, it's policy. It's a matter of efficiency. Uh, so the answer is, is no EKGs are not required uh, in the U.S. for all athletes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I am... I, I, um... I find this fascinating because, as you said, I mean, it's, it's, uh, we do have, obviously, great medical care, and you would think that in the United States that there will be even more attention paid uh, and more tests done to protect our, our high school athletes. But as you said, it only seems to be spent, the money spent really on the, on the elite professional athletes um, because there's a debate about this, just as, you know, false positives and so few things that uh, pop up in the test. It is curious uh, how this is, because, you know, if I were a parent, um, 
And particularly if I have a family history of, of uh, cardiac issues and my kid wants to play, you know, a high school sport, I probably would ask, can, you, can we provide some more tests to make sure that he or she is, in fact, okay? Does that, does that make sense? Is that just a, a psychological reassurance or is it actually, I mean, do these tests really do find stuff? Uh, you know, it's, it's, it really depends on the, every, every patient is different. You listen, now the, the young uh, boy or girl says, you know, I've, I've had fainting spells, I've had some palpitation, or more, even more importantly, well, equally important, a family history. Yeah, um, yeah. So the premature, now that's different. That's different. You know, you listen, that's where the careful history and, 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 and physical examination. If you pick up anything that's a red flag, time out. You, you work that up. Hmm. Interesting stuff. All right. I have a lot more to cover. And obviously, I want to get to more of callers as well for Dr. Franklin Zimmerman, noted cardiologist. Uh, in fact, he's a senior attending cardiologist and director of cardiac rehab at Phelps Memorial Hospital, Northwell Health in Sleepy Hollow. Uh, we got to take a break. Um, and of course, we'll get an update from Anthony uh, Piano. Uh, when we come back, we'll take your calls at 877-337-337. 66-66. And welcome back to uh, the Sports Edge, everyone. We're talking about what really happened to DeMar Hamlin of the Buffalo Bills, and my guest is a cardiologist, Dr. Franklin Zimmerman. And we're taking your calls at 877-337-6666. Uh, before, uh, before the break, uh, I was asking Dr. Zimmerman about, okay, well, I mean, uh, we're, we're really have outlined a lot of scary scenarios. Uh, we know that. Uh, heart attacks, cardiac arrest, whatever you want to call, all these things do happen, and they happen, unfortunately, occasionally to top athletes. Uh, a lot of times, though, they do have happy endings, like we've had with Hamlin. Uh, Chris Pronger we talked about. I mean, Kamosho Cordes in an NHL game. From what I understand, he was back on the ice within, you know, four or five days playing. Uh, there's the case, uh, Dr. Zimmerman, uh, from a year and a half ago of Christian Eriksson, top soccer player from Denmark, who had a cardiac arrest during a match. Um, CPR was started right away on the field. He never lost consciousness and apparently even waved to the crowd as he was being carted off, but it took him several months of rehab. He had a defibrillator inserted into his chest. And he's now back playing at the elite uh, soccer levels again. So, you know, we're, we're getting these happy endings as well. But, um, yeah, we also know about people like uh, I mentioned Chuck Hughes, the Lions wide receiver who died on the field. Reggie Lewis of the Celtics back in the early 90s. He passed. Hank Gathers died at age 23. I mean, there are people, you know, top athletes who should be on the, the top of the game. But whatever reason... They, they, these, these situations are not diagnosed early on. Now, I gather you're going to tell me that the diagnostic tools are getting better and better as we, uh, as we, we go into 2023. Is that correct? You know, absolutely. Um, and, and especially, as we said, the scrutiny is higher at the, at the elite level. I think there's, Rick, maybe you can correct me. I think there's 4 million high school uh, students and who knows, uh, millions and millions in youth leagues. Yep. Uh, at the professional level, obviously, because of the investment in the teams, and this is their uh, their livelihood, that there's a, there's tremendous scrutiny uh, for these conditions. And and frankly, I, I think also there's a, a NBA player with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, Jared Butler. When I was looking, I think he was a Utah point guard, and he is playing. Yeah. Uh, at the professional level, and and these these conditions. 
can be diagnosed uh, with various cardiac testing, sometimes, as we mentioned, on physical examination, other times and frequently, more sophisticated um, uh, testing is necessary. It is unusual for um, a player to have a, a condition that would require a defibrillator, an implanted defibrillator, to be able to play again. There are a number of players that have retired uh, because they have been discovered with this. Uh, so that, that, that is an unusual. And remember, these are professional athletes competing. They're not the recreational athlete uh, at, at an extremely high level. Uh, which which has unique stresses on the heart. So we're not talking about our children who are playing little league. Work no, I, yeah, I, I, you know, I you understand know. that. And I, I, what is that? I, I think you're. I mean, the Christian Erickson story is pretty amazing. That that he had in his late twenties had a heart attack, cardiac arrest on a, during a soccer match, and then a year and a half later he's back playing again. But he has this this uh, defibrillator inserted into his heart. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's. I, I have never heard that before, but I guess it's, it's becoming more and more common. Oh, and that abs- absolutely. Uh, okay. Many, many patients that have defibrillators now. You bet. Now, they're, they're, you know, those are different categories. Those are uh, adults, of course, and yes, uh, yes. that's major cardiac conditions. Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, let's promise. Let's get some calls for Dr. Zimmerman. Then let's go it over to uh, let's go to Steve Callis. Uh, is calling in this morning from New York City. Steve, good morning. Uh, yeah, Steve, you and I did a show about commercial quarters uh, a few years back, but I'm curious to get your thoughts about what you saw. Again, you're 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 not a cardiolo- cardiologist. You're a sports guy. <laughs> you're you're an attorney. But but tell me, what do you make it from your perspective? Well, when I was watching the game and I saw the play, it looked to me like T. Higgins lowered his head and hit hit him in the chest with his helmet. I didn't think it was his shoulder, Rick. I thought it was his, his helmet. helmet. But okay. when, when he gets up and goes down right away, again, from the Little League show we did, in the context of Little League, of course, you know, that was, I think, five or six years ago. But I thought it was a possibility, not a doctor. I understand what Dr. Zimmerman was saying. It's, uh, you know, you need exclusion. You have to rule out everything else essentially but i did want to read you one thing that i found in an article published the other day that talks about athletes dying from commotio well athletes dying including a subsection of commotio cordis and Mm -hmm. that is i'll give a quote from the article the most recent study published from the u.s national registry of sudden death in athletes in 2016 found that of 2192 deaths 58 athletes experienced commotio cordis between 1980 and 2011. The event is reported up to 20 times a year, mostly in the U.S., but in other countries as well. So I guess that just kind of confirms what Dr. Zimmerman said about the rarity of it all. It was interesting to me because... I think I told you I did a show on WVOX up in New Rochelle the next day and thought it might be a possibility, not a doctor. But I think everyone's reluctant at the very beginning to talk about it. There was a Dr. Haith from Columbia who was on ESPN, and she described commotio cordis without naming it and, and didn't dismiss it but said, you know, that's a big rarity. And I understand why doctors wouldn't want to jump to that conclusion because, again, it sounds like you've got to rule out 10, 15, 20 other things before you um, go with commotio cordis. The other thing I wanted to say, the interesting thing about Chris Pronger, because, you know, I'm a big hockey guy, Chris Pronger, when he got it in the playoffs, it was in the playoffs, he, he was on the ice four days later. Yes, so That yes. must have been an incredible 
recovery on top of incredible recovery. But that was, I remember when that happened, and he, he, he came back four days later, which is pretty incredible. I'm uh, it's, it's, it is. It's remarkable. Hockey players, of course, are a different kind of breed. Steve, thanks for checking in. Appreciate the call, as always, and good to talk to you. Uh, let's go on with our calls. Let's go to uh, Dr. Rob Freed, who's checking in from Lake Success. Say, hey, Rob, good morning. Great. You're on the good fan. Morning. Dr. Zimmerman, I'm so glad to talk to you again. And i got to tell you, I worry about my heart daily. And since I spoke with you last, you know, I had another angiogram. I was worried about restenosis in my LAD. It turns out my stents are doing great. They're wide open. We talked about Crestor. Uh, I started taking it, and it's crazy, Doc. We, and, and I want to get to that later on in my points about you know, kids, kids getting you know, physicals and maybe routine blood work to check for cholesterol, uh, diabetes. I think that's something I know you talked about the EKG, not standard, uh, because you can get false negatives. They did find on my heart, believe it or not, um, I did have a silent infarct years ago. They, they don't know when it happened. Uh, it could have happened in my college days running marathons back in the 80s. But I worry about my heart every day, but they said they, I have no restrictions. Now, what I want to let the people know that are listening, I'm 138 pounds, I'm 5'10", I've never smoked a cigarette in my life, and my cholesterol prior to my stents was not a problem. I never had any symptoms. I just went for a routine stress test. They found 70% blockage in my widowmaker artery, which is really what it basically means. My wife would have been a widow because that is a major artery in the heart. Now, cardiac arrest, as I know, as you're explaining to the audience, is very, very different than, you know, uh, blocked arteries as well as heart attacks. They're two different scenarios, and the rarity is much more in, obviously, a cardiac arrest. And thankfully, you know, Hamlin's doing fabulous. Doctor, I want to let the people know you should anybody, and I'm, I consider myself an elite athlete. I've run 24 marathons and a 230 back in the day, and I still run – 315 to 325 in Boston and New York City. So it's something that we all should be aware of, yeah. and it doesn't matter well, how. You're, well, you're right. You're, you're right. <laughs> you bring up the point that the point is that fitness is important. No one should uh, be concerned. Yes, you can may want to get a pre-participation physical. I'm glad you're doing well, Doc, by the way. And, uh, and uh, nice to speak with you again. And just we tell our, uh, all our patients, Prevention, prevention, prevention. So take and uh, what, there's one thing you can't change though is family history. So take good care of your parents and uh, and get out there. <laughs> and, and that is, and that exercise is, is medicine and diet is medicine. Not everybody has to be a marathon runner, but uh, but anyway. So good, good to talk to you and uh, and uh, we'll. Uh, and uh, I'm sure Rick has some more call yeah, too. Rob, I just want to say I'm glad you so I'm glad you called in because your your exhibit A obviously somebody who's been a serious elite runner, marathon runner. You're in great shape. You don't smoke, whatever, and yet you've had these problems, you know, in recent yeah, and, years. And that, that's yeah. what I want to say. I want a quick question for you, Doctor. PVCs. I know we haven't discussed that. They did find PVCs. Is that something I should be concerned about? Well, you know, I can't give personal medical information. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so, but uh, a lot of us have them. All I can just say is that. But, uh, but uh, that's that's a generic question that uh, we can't give personal info. But take care. Thank you. Happy holidays. Thanks, Rob. And, and you know, uh, Dr. Zerman, because obviously I'm keeping an eye on the clock here, uh, I, I do want to come back sort of because there's so much here, and obviously we could spend hours talking about cardiology and young athletes and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, 
So the question I started or I asked at the start of the hour was how concerned should parents be about their kids playing sports, especially when it comes to cardiac risks. Um, I mentioned a few minutes ago, and I want to come back to this, that the good news is that these days it's pretty much every high school team uh, has a trainer in attendance at every game and every practice just in case something of a, of a medical emergency does occur. Uh, defibrillators have become standard in every gym and are obviously many of them are portable to uh, to fields outside uh, football field hockey whatever sport may be all high school coaches have to be certified in terms of cpr training as do of course the trainers so this is all good news because this has become the rule in schools all over the country and by the way i would just add this if uh, if you're a sports parent and your son or daughter plays on, a, on an outside travel or club team, well, mom or dad, you definitely want to ask the person who runs that organization if their coaches are trained in CPR. Do they have trainers at their events? And do the coaches and trainers have AEDs with them at all times, just as a preventive measure because we know these things do happen? Um, I, I, Dr. Zimmerman, I assume you feel the same way about the fact that uh, we, we keep hearing positive stories about Somebody collapses at a game, a kid gets, uh, you know, collapses, and somebody immediately goes out there with an AED and, and brings him back to life, just like what happened with DeMar Hamlin. Absolutely. That, that may be the most important point of this, because let's face it, as dramatic as this event was, it's extremely, extremely rare and random. And I do believe, by the way, speaking to the, uh, the gentleman, the attorney that called in, this to me, to me looked like a football tackle. There was nothing unusual uh, about uh, that tackle, and and um, and it had to be a, just a, a, a terrible, terrible confluence of random events. And, and it, you you mentioned, by the way, uh, about the speed of the tackle and the, usually a projectile. One thing, just to let the listeners know how rare this is, it has to be during a, a vulnerable period in the cardiac cycle. It's twenty to thirty milliseconds, not seconds milliseconds a second divided by a thousand so it, during a, a very specific portion of the cardiac cycle now pardon the question point you just made it's the the resuscitation uh, was remarkable and the fact that these automatic defibrillators are so available now uh that has been a game changer rick i shared a story with you of a gentleman that 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 arrested next to me on a treadmill at, on my local health club in briarcliff well, we had an AED, and this gentleman was resuscitated so quickly, and this is a true story, uh, He, after we shocked him, and he woke up, and I told him that an ambulance was on its way, he goes, I'm not going to any hospital. This is a true story. I'm not going to any hospital. I'm going to finish my workout. <laughs> to which I replied, no, uh, you're on your way to the hospital, and and, you know, I shared another story, which I think the, the listeners might find poignant, is that, yes, when you do, these are random events, but bad things can happen. I shared a story of, of, of high school football uh, yep. in suburban Cleveland, where I'm from, and I was playing, I was on the varsity, and a lightning strike did hit the freshman team while on the practice field, and, and two young boys were killed in front of me. So, so uh, but thankfully, those events are rare. And as we mentioned at the top of the show, the incidence of commotio cordis uh, is about that type of uh, level, about 20 a year, about yeah, I, being I, likely to 
from being struck by lightning and killed. Yeah, I, I'm glad you reemphasize that again because every sports parent uh, is obviously only wants their their child to prosper and and grow and be healthy, and that's why they play sports to to be physically active. Uh, nobody wants to talk about the downside, but that's why I'm glad you put this all into perspective as to how rare Komosho Cardis is, and or obviously being hit by lightning. Um, you know, but let me just come back for a second to Damar Hamlin. And again, I know you, he's not your patient and you're looking at this from a distance, but obviously you are, you know, a top cardiologist and have been for a number of years. So we keep getting these reports that, you know, he's he's FaceTiming with his teammates and he's making great progress and they took the tube out. So what does happen next with him? And again, you might say, well, Rick, it depends on what, what they come up with the diagnosis. But what will happen with him next? What, will he, what kind of rehab does he go? What, what happens to him over the next uh, few weeks or months? Well, here's what we do know. They, a, they resuscitated him very quickly, uh, got him right back with what they call return of spontaneous circulation. He got what's called high-quality CPR, so ostensibly, uh, hopefully, uh, no significant brain damage. Uh, the fact that he recovered and was writing and FaceTiming was great. Interestingly, they used some very sophisticated, again, this report just came out, some very sophisticated resuscitation that he actually went through what's called a hypothermia protocol. They actually cooled him, uh, uh, cooled his body temperature down to protect the brain. Uh-huh. Uh, then he was warmed up. Yes, that, that's a little nuance that just came out in the reports. We were able to take the breathing tube out. Uh, in cases like this, uh, there, I would hope there would be no heart damage at all. Now, that's where they have to, they're going to be determining his heart function with echocardiograms and various cardiac testing to see if there's any significant damage, which, by the way, doesn't mean that he couldn't completely recover. After he is, uh, again, walking and up and around, they will undoubtedly, undoubtedly be checking his heart with. Well, I shouldn't speak. You know, they, they, it's often the case that they, they will have an electrophysiologist look at him to see if there's any predisposition uh, for this condition uh, yeah. that, that could be possible. Absent any cardiac uh, structural damage and absent any neurologic damage, there are cases where people have returned to, to full functioning. Now, that we don't know, and that it's not fair to speculate in this individual case. It's not impossible. But they will use extreme caution with him. Um, okay, and I, 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 yeah, obviously they're going to be very, very cautious with this young man. Um, they keep saying he's he his neurological response is good. What does that mean in terms for for lay people? What does that mean in terms of his neurological response that he can he can hear and and talk and and move his extremities? What, what does that mean? Well, the first thing is that when he's on that protocol, they were saying, well. Uh, He was completely sedated, and they were also undoubtedly using some form of neuromuscular blockade that that, uh, he he was unable to move. And then when they lighten that up, uh, they can see that he's moving all extremities. That's first. That's first. Uh, And now he has higher cognitive function that he could speak and, and, and make the heart sign and ask who won the game. I mean, isn't that a great sign? Yeah. Uh, Right off the bat. Yeah. Uh, And the medications that were being used to sedate him will be withdrawn. Uh, So ostensibly, all his cognitive functions can. But let's face it, you worry about the brain. Uh, When you have a cardiac arrest, you're worrying about what brain function is. So ostensibly, those are all coming back. Again, we will get our reports 
Uh, those, these are just in general terms. So we will get our reports, hopefully more today, uh, since, uh, about from his team. Um, I haven't seen anything today. I haven't checked uh, with as many update, but all good news so far. Yeah, so, 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 okay, let's assume and pray that it continues to be just more and more good news. Um, how long will he stay in, in the uh, intensive care unit? How long before he uh, goes into or he's released to a regular room or goes home? Uh, what, what happens in cases like this when people have a serious uh, cardiac arrest? Uh, what, how, how, do they, how do they, what kind of process do they go through in terms of their getting literally back on their feet? Yeah, not fair to speculate, uh, Rick. Okay. I can't All right. defer that on this case because every patient is different there. You know, that, that, you know, that, that wouldn't be fair. I got you. No, I, I, I hear you loud and clear. And again, we don't know because they haven't said much. We don't know, obviously, whether it was uh, commotio cordis or maybe he had a pre-existing uh, heart condition. Or maybe he had a silent heart attack uh, in years past. We just don't know or a family background. We just don't know. And I think that's one reason why uh, the, the University of Cincinnati Medical Center is being so hush-hush and they release only things bit by bit by bit until they actually know more and obviously have clearance you know, from Hamlin and his family as to what they want to reveal to the, uh, to the football public. Is that, is that all fair to say? Absolutely. And, and you know, one, one important point is that everybody's wondering about this. To your listeners, be very careful. Don't get your information from the Internet. Uh, get it from, let's wait to hear what his personal physicians are uh, talking. There's, been, there's, there's a lot of false information out there, which I found which was very distressing. Uh, uh, so... Get it from the docs that are taking care of him, because that is a super team, and let's all pray that he makes a complete recovery. Absolutely. Look, Dr. Zimmerman, as always, I, I'm just so grateful for you taking the time to talk about uh, what we think might have happened to DeMar Hamlin and to reassure parents that, yes, injuries do happen in sports, but, you know, for us, the rewards and benefits of playing sports uh, clearly outweigh the risk. Anyhow, th- thank you again, Dr. Zimmerman. We'll talk to you again real soon. Okay, that's it. My thanks this morning to Brian McKeon for doing a terrific job. Uh, Nick Costos is up next. I'll see you next week on the Sports Edge. And by the way, check my Twitter feed to find out the topic and what time we start next Sunday morning. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.